Hey, good morning, ABC. Uh, thanks for joining us here this morning. My name is Sean Russell, and I'm the Director of Operations, and I lead our men's ministry here at the church. And uh, before we jump into today's message, I wanted to just share a few things that are going on here at the church, uh, a few changes and a few upcoming events just to keep you guys plugged in and connected. The first is Vacation Bible School. We're going to be hosting VBS, as we've said the last few weeks, here on June 14th through the 18th. Uh, and then on June 20th, that Sunday, following VBS, we're going to be hosting VBS Sunday right here on campus. The big difference is, is both services are going to be outside. So the 9 and the 1045 services are going to be outside in our back lot. And uh, we're going to feature VBS Sunday and have an opportunity to celebrate the kids and all God has done uh, through VBS throughout that week. So we encourage you to circle that date on your calendar and join us for VBS Sunday on June 20th. Again, both services outside at 9 and 1045. And then the following Sunday on June 27th, uh, we're going to be flip-flopping or swapping our services. So the 9 a.m. service will now be outside to take advantage of the great weather in the mornings that we have typically as it warms up here in the summer. And our kids' services, all of our kids' programs will follow. Those will also happen at 9 a.m. And then our 1045 service, which had been outside, will now be inside where we can move it to the worship center, have a more controlled environment, turn the AC on to take advantage of, um, of the cooling uh, and allow people to feel a little bit more comfortable in the heat of the summer. So again, we're swapping those services. That's going to start on June 27th. So just mark your calendar. Those services will flip-flop uh, on June 27th. And then the last announcement is Rejoice. If you're newer to the church, uh, we've been hosting a Rejoice service on Sundays at 5.30. Uh, it's back in E102, so the back part of the church. It's open to anyone. Um, cool opportunity for fellowship and for opening up God's Word and singing hymns together. Uh, great chance, if you can't make it on Sunday morning, to join us for Rejoice, Rejoice services. Uh, again, back in E102 at 5.30 in the afternoon. I hope you guys have a great Sunday. It's great to have you with us today uh, as we continue in our study in the book of Philippians. Uh, this morning I want to talk to you about the best investment that you can possibly make. Now uh, normally uh, I would not recommend that you take investment advice from a pastor but in this instance, uh, I can guarantee you that the, the best investment that you can ever make is in the life of someone else. Uh, we call it discipleship. And I want you to see two men today that the Apostle Paul invested in. And we can learn some amazing things about how the Apostle Paul, who invested in these individuals, uh, what he thought of them and, and the return on his investment. And we begin in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I know no one else of kindred spirit who genuinely uh, will be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. Uh, Timothy was the young man who was discipled by the Apostle Paul, and we can learn so much from this relationship and the example of Timothy himself. A little background on Timothy might be helpful. Uh, he was a native of Lystra in the province of Galatia a part of modern Turkey today, to kind of give you an idea of where he was from. His mother's name was Eunice. She happened to be Jewish. Um, his father, we don't know his name, but he was Greek. Uh, 
Paul was led to Christ by the Apostle Paul himself on his first visit to Lystra on his first missionary journey. Uh, Paul, uh, or Timothy's mother, okay, Eunice, who is Jewish, her mother was also Jewish uh, and, and her name was Lois. Uh, they actually instructed Timothy in the Old Testament scriptures. So he was very familiar with the Jewish te uh, Old Testament in terms of his own understanding of the scriptures themselves. And yet his father, being Greek, gave him this unique blend of being Jewish, in a sense, and Greek as well. And so when the Apostle Paul led him to Christ, he was a perfect candidate to help Paul fulfill his mission because God, a, uh, God had called Paul, a Jew, right, to reach the Gentiles. And so we have this perfect blend of Timothy being both Jewish and Gentile. In fact, um, because of the ministry that he would have both in Jewish communities and Gentile communities, uh, Timothy was circumcised by Paul so that he would have a, a uh, access, in a sense, to the Jewish communities as well. He was one of those kind of crossover individuals. And so Paul understood that his ministry to Jews would be jeopardized uh, if they purely saw him as a Gentile. And so that's another part of another chapter in, in his own story uh, as well. We know that, uh, that Timothy was a a companion of the Apostle Paul for nearly a decade by the time Paul writes this particular letter. So Timothy had definitely proven over time to be dependable and a real role model for these uh, Philippians to emulate as well. And so as we, as we think about the Apostle Paul in terms of investing in this young man, I, I would say this, that outside of Jesus Christ himself, there was probably never a better discipler than the Apostle Paul. So there's some great things that we can learn. And we're not only going to look at uh, Timothy's life, but also somebody that we don't really know very well, uh, Aphroditus. And uh, Epaphroditus, I should say. <laughs> Aphrodite is another thing. Uh, Epaphroditus uh, as well. So let's look at the qualities of these two disciples, okay? Uh, first of all, Timothy. He says of Timothy that he was a kindred spirit, which means equally sold or one sold. In other words, they were like-minded. The goal of discipleship is reproduction. Uh, Jesus says it this way, when a person is fully discipled, he will be like his teacher in Matthew 10, 25. Over time, Timothy started looking an awful lot like the Apostle Paul. He, he started to think more like the Apostle Paul. He started to act more like the Apostle Paul. This, my friends, is discipleship. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says something that I've really actually struggled with at times in my life. Um, this is what he says. I exhort you, and get this, be imitators of me. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, I exhort you to be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ Jesus, as I teach everywhere in the church. I struggle with this concept of Paul saying, be like me. 
how would you feel about that? How, how would you feel if, if someone were to say to you, hey, I want you to be like me? Because most of us would immediately say, hey, no, no, don't be like me. Be like Jesus. But that's not what Paul says. He says, be like me. Again, referring to his own experience, okay, with Christ as I ultimately follow Jesus. Um, I think it's an audacious statement that anyone would say, be like me. And yet there's something here that we need to understand in terms of discipleship, in terms of mentoring. People need real life examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Paul understood that. Paul was not in any sense arrogant saying that you should follow me because I'm so great. No. In fact, we're going to see next week in particular, we're going to see his own unbelievable humility and, 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 and all that's a part of his life. But what the Apostle Paul knows, it's not enough to simply say you should be like Jesus. And the reason is because most of us have never actually seen Jesus. But we've seen the people that we encounter, those people who have truly been transformed by the power of Jesus, that have the Holy Spirit living in them, they are many times the only Jesus that we're going to see. You, for many, are the only Jesus that people are going to see. Paul understood that to be an authentic Christian means to live out your faith in Christ in such a way that people can see Christ in you and that they literally become imitators of your faith and my faith. It's a great responsibility, and most of us kind of think, Ugh, that sounds kind of heavy or hard. I, I'm not sure that, that I want to even say that, but you need to understand this principle that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach here, and that is, is that we need real-life examples of what it means to follow after Jesus. Secondly, he says he had genuine concern. He says this, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Um, you can't fake genuine concern. And what Paul makes it clear here, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned. Obviously, the number of people who are genuinely concerned is few. It's the exception, not the rule. When Paul says of his own experience in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for you with all affection. This genuine concern was real for the Philippians. The Philippians knew it, and Paul knew it. And Paul's saying that Timothy has that same kind of concern for you. What kind of concern is that? It's a shepherd's heart. Do you have a shepherd's heart for people? Do, do you have a genuine concern for others? This is something you can't fake. And again, next week we want to talk about this, this, this idea of keeping it real, you know, being genuinely concerned. What does that look like? This is the Apostle Paul saying, this young man, Timothy, I know him so well. You know him as well. He has genuine concern for you. He has a shepherd's heart. And by the way, those are the kind of people we're looking for. People who have genuine concern for others. People who have a shepherd's heart. I'm happy to announce that Gerald Hagen is, or Haugen is coming to our church. Uh, hired as our discipleship pastor, our care pastor. We're so excited about this guy because from the moment we interviewed him, we met him, 
we had the, the, the Skype interviews or Zoom calls and those kinds of things, met him in person. One thing you can tell about this guy, when he came to speak here, this is what our people said about him. Guy really appears to have a shepherd's heart. One of the most important things that you can have in a follower of Jesus, and certainly in a pastor or a leader, is that they have a shepherd's heart. It's genuine concern. Third, genuine concern is evidenced by, by being centered on others as well. And when he talks about his own experience, he was saying, you know, and he was in Rome, remember, he was under house arrest in Rome. He said, he, he, he speaks of this in, in Philippians chapter 1. If we go back to Philippians chapter 1, he talks about some of these people who are selfishly motivated in ministry. And look what it says in verse 15. To be sure, some are preaching Christ even from envy or strife. Can you imagine that? They're actually pe preaching Christ from envy or strife. Some from goodwill, the latter, you know, from love. But there's others, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Preaching Christ from pure motives. Do you know it's possible for those who are serving the Lord in ministry, whether they're preachers, pastors, ministers, lay leaders, anything else that you can think of in terms of service for our Lord to become self-centered? I really don't believe that people start out that way. I really don't. I think that most people who say, I want to serve God, do so from pure motives originally. But over time, it is very easy to revert back to a self-centered method of ministry. So instead of serving others, it's more about serving yourself. And uh, Paul says, you know, that's possible. Uh, that's what I'm experiencing here. Um, and yet, bottom line is, I don't have to judge anybody's motives. God does. All I care about is uh, that Jesus Christ uh, is, is being proclaimed. You know, I'm going to let God deal with people's motives. Uh, I would say this, that we always have to check our motives personally and stay others focused because we revert back to selfish motivation almost every time if we're not careful, okay? Fourth, he was time tested. He said, you know his proven worth. Uh, and character, character takes time to prove. Proven character takes time, and, and, and we know, you know, that the, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And because Paul had a decade of experience with the Apostle Paul, I mean, Timothy had a, a decade of experience with Paul, Paul knew that, that Timothy was a, a man that was time-tested. In other words, he's proven his worth over time. And then finally, we see he's got this, this servant's heart. Uh, Timothy was really saying this, you know, that, that uh, Paul was saying about Timothy. Man, this guy, this guy's got a servant's heart. And it's interesting because Paul says it this way. Timothy's was, his service wasn't to Paul, okay? His service was with Paul. Do you see the difference? In other words, it wasn't that Timothy was serving Paul, okay? The service wasn't to Paul. He was actually serving with Paul. There is nothing like working together with someone else, coming along someone else. Unbelievably powerful relationships are formed when we serve God together. 
some of you know it to be true. You know, you volunteer to, to teach a Sunday school class, and the person that you're assigned with you didn't know before, but you're teaching the Sunday school class with children together, and suddenly you develop a relationship and a friendship. Why? Because you're serving God together. There's something so powerful about that. It's like the relationships that are formed on Thursday mornings with our crew who come for breakfast. And then they, they literally have saved our church tens of thousands of dollars, you know, by cleaning and repairing everywhere is what, is what the slogan is for crew. And, and they do that every week. They have such a great time. They laugh together. They spend a time of devotion together. But relationships are forged by serving God together. And there's some very good friendships. And by the way, I would encourage you, if you have uh, freedom uh, in terms of your schedule to be able to come down and join crew on a Thursday morning, serving God together will forge relationships that can be so powerful uh, in the long run. Uh, and when Apostle Paul talks about this, he says, you know what, this guy's been a co-worker with me. We've strived together, we've worked together. And of course, uh, Timothy uh, learned an awful lot uh, about life just by serving with the Apostle Paul, which is what's so powerful in terms of discipleship and mentoring. Now, anytime you're involved in a deep relationship with another human being, uh, you got to realize that as people, there are weaknesses, right? Everybody. Uh, the more you get to know someone, the more you're aware of their weaknesses. And if you're in a relationship where you are mentoring someone else, it's important to recognize that your role and your responsibility in that is to be very aware of you know, some of their, their, their challenges, some of their shortcomings. Help them in a loving way become aware of their shortcomings as well, because many times people lack self-awareness. Um, but beyond that is just to kind of help them through it. In other words, think of yourself like a cheerleader. All right. The Apostle Paul was an amazing cheerleader, uh, but very aware of Timothy's shortcomings, some of which we I'll just mention three of them. Um, number one, uh, Timothy lacks self-confidence. So many times when people are kind of moving into a role of ministering to others, they lack self-confidence. They think, well, who am I? How can I do this? It's, you know, uh, you uh, are aware of it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Because he was young, because he was very young, Paul, Paul recognized that self-confidence was something that he needed to build on it. Now, there are also those who are overconfident, and, and sometimes that comes with the youth as well, right? They don't know what they don't know, and uh, there's nothing like arrogance, right? We can see it in others, rarely do we see it in ourselves. But, but the truth is, is that you know sometimes even people that, that are arrogant, in a sense, are overconfident. Sometimes they become outstanding leaders when you couple their their confidence with ultimately with humility that, that, that comes in a multitude of ways for people, uh, usually through life experience, you know, humility comes. Uh, but, but God uses all kinds of people. And when you see a person that lacks self-confidence to be able to encourage them, say, you know, with God's strength and God's help, you can do this. That's a part of discipleship. Uh, secondly, he was tempted by his passions. He was a young man. Okay, so what it says in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 21 and 22 said, If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor. Okay, so whenever the Bible talks about a vessel, it's talking about a body. So he's saying this, be sanctified, okay, useful to the master, prepared for good work. How do you prepare yourself for a good work to be used by God? And here it is, okay, verse 22. Now flee 
youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. As a young man with the sexual temptation that is very real for every human being, all right, he says this, he says, be aware of the fact that your, your vessel needs to be pure if you're going to really be used by God. Therefore, young Timothy, when it comes to sexual temptation, you need to run. You don't stop and pray in this instance. No, you run and, and, and literally pursue, okay? You don't just run from sexual sin, but you pursue something else. What do you pursue? Righteousness, being right with God, faith, love, peace, service for others, all of these other kinds of things are a part of that as well. He was very aware of his shortcomings, just as God is aware of all of our shortcomings. Uh, Paul was aware of Timothy's challenges as well. And then Timothy in particular struggled with discouragement. We might say depression, all right? And so in 2 Timothy 3.14, in, uh, in 2 Timothy 4.2, and then 5, we have these times where Timothy was at a low point, you know, and, and some defeats and other things in his life. And he says this to young Timothy. He says, you know what, Timothy, continue in the things that you've learned from me and become convinced of and knowing from whom you've learned them. Okay? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Um, you know, when you are a young person in ministry and you are proclaiming the word of God and you are called to reprove and rebuke, that is something that people so many times do not receive, do not receive well. When people don't like the message, they attack the messenger. And honestly, that gets really discouraging. It causes you to want to give up at times, you know, because you feel the personal rejection of, of because you're trying to do what God's called you to do, proclaim the word and, and all of those things. And so he said, you know what, don't give up, you know, keep, keep going. And uh, there is discouragement. There are setbacks, but do the work of the evangelist, what God's called you to stay with it. And, and I would just say the same thing to you, you know, if you're discouraged, stay with it the things that God has taught you. Stay with it. Secondly, we're going to look at this guy, Epaphroditus. It's kind of fun to talk about him because we just don't know much about Epaphroditus. Uh, you know, as we look at verse 25, it's not a, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for all, for you all, he was distressed because he had heard, because actually you had heard that he was sick. Now get the picture. Epaphroditus is concerned for the Ephesians who knew him well because they had heard that he was sick. Okay, For indeed he was sick, it says here, to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and did not, not only him also, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, God spared his life, and I'm so glad he did because I really like this guy. All right? Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold like men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service 
for me. By the way, he's not criticizing them in verse 30 about their deficiency. He's saying, you couldn't come. You sent him. He came on your behalf. He was a great blessing to me. The only reason he's going back is because he's concerned, because you're concerned for him. Uh, that's the, the story here. But from this, we see this amazingly faithful guy. We don't know anything about him, really. We don't know about his background. We don't know his parents or, or any of those other things. Uh, we don't, he's not a great preacher, as far as we know. He's not a great teacher. He's not a great leader, as far as we know. All we can say about this guy is that he was a faithful man. And by the way, is there any greater compliment? Is there any greater compliment that could be said of any person than, you know what? They were faithful. I would pray that God would be able to say that of me, and I would pray that he would be able to say that about you. We focus so much on abilities and talents and all the other kinds of things, but the fact that God cares just about faithfulness, and Paul recognized that in, in this man. Let's look at the qualities of a disciple here. First of all, he was a brother, okay? He was a spiritual brother. Um, when he talks about Timothy, he talks about him as what? A brother or a son? talks about him as a son. When he talks about this guy, he talks about a brother, a comrade, serving God together. He says that he was a fellow worker. And, uh, and you know, it's as I mentioned before, when you work together with someone else, shoulder to shoulder, it, it is so helpful to have someone shoulder the load. You know, when you feel that load and that burden all by yourself, uh, and, and you have someone else come along to help sh shoulder the, the load. It's so powerful. So we see that he was a fellow worker. And, and by the way, it, Paul not only refers to, to Epaphroditus and others as fellow workers, but he also talks about godly women as well that, that he used uh, in an amazing way as fellow workers. Uh, Priscilla, Sintiki, uh, Lydia that we talked about before uh, as well, Yodia as well. There's others uh, that are listed as fellow workers who helped shoulder the load. Of course, Lydia being the one that helped finance the missions trips uh, as, a, as a very successful businesswoman, uh, recognizing these, these fellow workers in the gospel. Third, he refers to him as a soldier. In other words, they were battling together a common uh, enemy. Paul uses this metaphor all the time in terms of a soldier, in terms of a war, a soldier for, for Jesus Christ. In fact, when he's talking to young Timothy, when he says this in, in 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. There is a sense in which we need to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel. And if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to enter into a spiritual battle. There is hardship that's going to be included in that. Um, and so be aware of that as a good soldier. And then he says he, he was a messenger. Uh, in a sense, he was a missionary. He was on a mission from the church at Philippi to check in Paul's welfare, not only check on Paul's, uh, Paul's welfare, but also to serve Paul uh, as well. And then fifth, we see he was also a minister. And, and what we mean by that in terms of minister is he actually met the tangible needs. Not only was he one sent with the message, but he was a minister. He was a valuable gift. And what Paul will say about him is what he brought to me 
in terms of your encouragement, the service that he provided for me. I'm sure that, you know, with Paul under house arrest, he had a lot of needs. This guy would go shopping for him and do all kinds of things to meet his actual physical, tangible needs. But what Paul would say about this guy is that his presence, just being there, being a friend, being a brother, being a soldier together with him, shouldering the load, all of these things, was the greatest gift that, uh, that he ever received. The point here is this. You don't have to be a superstar to be valuable to God and to others. Be faithful. Come alongside. The greatest gift that you can give to anybody else in a mentoring, discipling relationship many times is, uh, is your presence. And, and just to be aware of how powerful that can be in terms of your own presence, okay? This man was, was an amazing individual. Um, you know, he, he got sick, <laughs> it says, uh, to the point of death. The Philippians were concerned about him. And it's so interesting that this Epaphroditus was distressed because his people were distressed. That's what really upset him. When he found out that the Philippians were really worried about him, he was distressed, distressed over their distress. I think of me as a grandparent, you know, and, and, and for those of you who are grandparents listening today, you know, isn't it amazing how distressed we get when our kids or our grandkids are distressed? We get distressed. Why? Because they're distressed. When they're distressed, we're distressed. That's the kind of relationship that we're talking about here. And so in terms of, um, in terms of uh, Epaphroditus, very interesting, by the way, just a side note that I find interesting. When he got sick, the Apostle Paul didn't heal him. There are record accounts of the Apostle Paul healing people. This doesn't happen to be one of them. What Paul says about this is that God healed him. I think it's important for us to understand that so many times there are some who have put such a great emphasis on healing and works of healing and healing through people that we miss the greater point and that is it's always God who heals. And in this instance, seemingly, Paul just backed off and it was literally like, God, if you want this guy to be healed, you need to heal him. And God did heal him. And ultimately, God gets the glory. And what Paul says about this healing it, is it a reflection of God's grace and God's mercy. And it gave him, because he had experienced deep pain, thought he was going to die, comes to a point of experiencing that healing that God provided for him, it gave him, I believe, Epaphroditus, a greater sense of empathy for others. When God takes us through deep waters and deep experiences, so many times, okay, he does so, so that we have a greater capacity of empathy and ability to relate to others as well. So when we think about mentoring, when we think about discipleship, when we think about making an investment in other people's lives, I just want to encourage you. It's the greatest investment that you could ever make. Spending time investing in others to be able to, in a sense, hand off that baton to the next generation so that they can walk with Christ. It's something I'm very committed to, have been very committed to. It's something that's very important to the, the future and you know, from the history of Christianity and the future of Christianity. And when it comes to the church, let's just remember there are all kinds in the church. The church needs visionaries, people like the Apostle Paul, no doubt. Fearless, bold leadership is needed in the church. 
But the church also needs the Timothys that are quiet, that are devoted, uh, willing to take an assistant role in a sense. They're the people that really get stuff done. And ultimately, there needs to be those who are like Epaphroditus, who are diligent, behind-the-scene workers, uh, not the superstars that are well-known, but ultimately, everything rides on people like this. People that can, it can be said of them, you know what? They're faithful. They're just faithful. And, uh, and I just praise God that ABC has a church filled with people who are faithful. And I hope that you are, are one of them. Let's remember that the greatest investment we can ever make is introducing people to Jesus Christ and, and living out our faith in such a way that they get to see Jesus so that they have a positive example that they can follow. God wants you to be that positive example that other people can follow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this amazing example. Uh, Lord, as we enter into this time of thinking about uh, two uh, men, one young man uh, and a brother, as Paul describes it, who are used in such a powerful way in the Apostle Paul's life. And Lord, how it, it gives for us a great example of what it means to, to disciple and to be disciples. Lord, I just pray that we would commit ourselves as a church, even as, uh, as we consider uh, you know, our future as a church, that discipleship has got to be the cornerstone of everything that we do. Because Lord, it is your example. Jesus, you provided the example first. Paul continued that, and Lord, it's now on us. We're responsible for that as well. And again, Lord, if there's any person today listening to this uh, broadcast, God, that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, God, that they would embrace Jesus as their Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, you know all our shortcomings and failures, and you have made an allowance in your Son for that. And we thank you for that. And when we embrace that, Lord, we are a vessel now that can be used for honor. And I pray, God, that you would be honored in the way that we use our lives, the investments that we make, that we might see a great return on our investment for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.